The Christmas passage we're looking at this morning is not related remotely to the nativity scene. It's not even found in any of the four Gospels. It isn't one we normally turn to for a Christmas message, nor is it one commonly found on Christmas cards, but it has everything to do with Christmas. It's only eight words long. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. These eight words ought to arrest our attention. It's an exclamation, a spontaneous shout. It's a doxology, really. Handel Brown called it the theme song of Christianity. Someone described this as an eight-word Christmas hymn. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, there's a word that has crossed our minds and been spoken more than any other word this and every Christmas season. What is that word? Well, it's not the word tree. It's not the word light. It's not the word eggnog. It's not the word party. It is the word gift. Gift. We are enamored with buying and receiving the right gifts. As we think about choosing the right gift for those special people in our lives, have we found that indescribable gift, that gift that goes beyond words and description? And I'm not talking about that horrendous gift that left your spouse speechless over the absurdity of it. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, this is just wonderful, something I always wanted. What is it? (laughs) Not that kind. Have you ever received an indescribable gift? That gift that that cannot be explained in words. Well, what kind of gift would it have to be for it to be called indescribable? Several years ago on Good Morning America, they featured some gifts that might be called indescribable. They were extraordinary gifts. Perhaps you've already bought these for someone else or have them on your Christmas list. One of them was a Jaguar 220 automobile. (laughs) If you want to buy one of these cars, you can go down to your car dealer and put it down a measly $80,000 deposit, which leaves a balance of around $500,000. You can see why they only make 250 of these a year. Now, if you you were to give that to me this Christmas, I doubt I could find the words to describe my gratitude, (laughs) in case you're thinking. Well, on this same morning show, they also featured a new car wax that promises to give your car the ultimate shine. It sells for $3,400 for an eight-ounce can. Now, I guess if you can afford a $587,000 Jaguar, what's another $3,400 for some car wax? The third item mentioned was a gold and silver toilet seat inlaid with precious stones, which went for $300,000. Now, folks, I don't know why you need a seat like that. 
Now, if you don't want to spend so much, there were cheaper gifts. There was the $18,000 Frisbee. There was a $10,000 yo-yo. There was a $27,000 pair of sunglasses and even a $12,000 mousetrap. Yes, a mousetrap for $12,000. Now, what kind of bait would you put into a, in a $12,000 mousetrap? I don't know, some lobster caviar or something like that? Oh, and grandparents, if you are wondering what to buy your grandbaby, there's a $28,000 pacifier. There you go. Those kind of gifts are just staggering. Really, I can't find words to describe them. However, those marketing such products and, and others like them will spend lots of money to find ways to describe them so that you think you can't live without them. They don't really qualify as being indescribable. No human gift does. And while we may be taken aback by certain gifts, we, we can always find a way to describe them. I mean, is there really such a thing as an indescribable gift? Well, when it comes to human gifts, no. But the Apostle Paul here, the gift that Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 9, is a gift that is indescribable. Nothing you will receive this Christmas, or any Christmas for that matter, no matter how spectacular it is, will come close to measuring up to the gift God gave that first Christmas. A gift wrapped in mystery, a gift wrapped in history, a gift wrapped in humanity. What a wonder it is. We've been looking at the wonder of Christmas over the last several weeks, and we've looked at the wonder of prophecy and saw that Christmas is God's great confirmation of all his promises. And then we looked at a Christmas list, the, the wonder of genealogy, and we observed that it is a genealogy of grace. Last week, we fixed our attention on the wonder of miracles and what God can do, what, how God works, for, for nothing is impossible with God. Well, this morning, it's the wonder of it all that makes all those other wonders even more meaningful. What is the wonder of it all. Well, this morning, I want us to look at, at, at the giver, the gift, and then the recipients of the gift. It's a very basic outline, but I, hopefully it will draw us to appreciate the wonder of it all. The giver, the gift, and then lastly, the recipients of the gift. First of all, let's look at the giver, the giver. It might be helpful for you to turn to this one verse that I'm referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're not there, I'd invite you to turn there. It's on page 821 if you want to use the Bibles right in front of you, page 821. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Because as I share with you the context of these eight words, you'll then be able to see it for yourself. We don't have time to get into all of it, but in, but in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul, under the superintending of God, writes to the church in Corinth about human gifts. The church in Corinth is taking up offerings to give to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And so Paul commends these believers for their eagerness and their willingness to help. He has reminded them that when it comes to the gift of giving, look at verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9, when it comes to the gift of giving, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. 
He emphasized then in in verse 7 the need to give cheerfully and not under compulsion. To give cheerfully and not under compulsion. Now relax. This isn't a sermon about raising funds or giving to the church. However, Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth is encouraging them to be generous in their giving. But he then shifts his attention from human gifts to God's gift. And he caps it all off with this motivation for giving, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now the question is, who's the giver of this gift? God. God. Who's the giver of all gifts? God. Who is the supreme, cheerful giver? God. God. Is that how you think of God? At times, we, we kind of think of God, I, I'm afraid, uh, that, he's, that he gives begrudgingly. It's like, oh, i got to give to them again? They keep come knocking at my, oh, i got to give. Might as well. No, that's not how God gives. On the contrary, if God loves a cheerful giver, and that's what he requires in others, he is that in himself. God the giver. It's a familiar story, I know, but it's appropriate here. A young boy went into the local store with his mother, and, and the shop owner, a kindly man, passed him this large jar of candy. He invited the, the young boy to just reach in with his hand and, and help himself to some candy, but uncharacteristically, the, the boy held back. He didn't reach in with his hands. And so the shop owner reached in with his own hand and pulled out a handful of candy for him. Well, went outside. When they got outside, the, the boy's mother asked the little boy why he, he suddenly became so shy and wouldn't take a, can, a handful of candy when it was offered him. And the boy replied, because his hand is much bigger than mine. <laughs> I love that. His hand is much bigger than mine. Our giver's hands are much bigger than we can imagine. Think about the ability of this giver. What do we know of God the giver? He's rich in in goodness. He he abounds in grace. He, He owns it all. He's the creator of the universe. He's a personal God. He's fully aware of what we really need. He won't give us useless gifts. Now, I'm afraid to say that, that, I was going to say many, some gifts exchanged this Christmas Christmas will reveal little awareness of the need of the recipients. Isn't that reflected in the song that's often sung this time of year at concerts and gatherings and Christmas parties? On the, it goes like this. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. What are you going to do with a partridge in a pear tree? I have no idea. Why would any lover give that to their Lover. What are you going to do with it? Or two turtle doves? Or 12 drummers drumming? What can you do with that? They're outrageous gifts. They are useless gifts. But God's gift is not like that. It reflects the perfect awareness of the giver to the needs of the one to whom it is given. One Christmas, a grandmother couldn't decide what to give her three grandchildren. So she decided to simply put a check for $25 in each card with the message, buy your own gift. So she sent her three cards out to each of her grandchildren. 
All seemed fine until one day after Christmas, she was cleaning up around the house, and to her surprise, she discovered she'd forgotten to put the check for $25 in each of those cards. (laughs) Now imagine... Imagine her three grandchildren as they opened up their empty Christmas card on Christmas morning with a startling message from Graham, buy your own gift. (laughs) Listen, God knows what it is we need, and he doesn't leave us to ourselves to meet that need. He doesn't say, go buy your own gift. Go figure it out yourself. No, this good and great personal God is the gracious giver of the gift that's mentioned here. God's indescribable gift to us is the perfect demonstration of grace giving in all of history. He held nothing back. He didn't leave us to ourselves. He cared enough to send the best gift of all. Let's talk about that gift. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Now, it's worth noting that Paul's, uh, that Paul's choice of words here, of this gift being indescribable, is, is a word not found anywhere else in Scripture. We could say Paul coined this word, like Paul Harvey coined the word skyjacking and Reaganomics and guesstimate. Well, the Apostle Paul coined a word here. He's reflecting on this gift, and he says it is indescribable. This gift is inexpressible. This gift is unspeakable. Now think about this. Here is a man who seems to be the master of words. He had a broad vocabulary. He had a brilliant mind. He was an excellent communicator. He could speak fluently Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. Yet when it seems to come to explaining this gift, He is at loss for a word. He can't come up with a word to describe this gift, so he says it is indescribable. Why is that so? What what would make a gift indescribable? Well, go with me in your Bibles to Luke um, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It's on page 725 if you want to use those Bibles in front of you. Luke chapter 2. Luke, the writer, is a physician. In a matter-of-fact manner, he just kind of says this. Verse 6, Luke 2, verse 6. It says, while they were there, meaning in the town of Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the picture is here were Joseph and Mary in a stable surrounded by a few animals and lots of straw. And Mary is looking at the face of God. No doubt Joseph, who had to be kind of dealing with some of his own stuff here, having nothing to do with a conception, he's standing nearby still trying to put some pieces together. God, the giver, wrapped himself in humanity. We are so used to those words, they kind of lose their impact. 
but it had never been done before, and it will never be done again. The holy presence of God took upon himself perfect humanity, linking together both deity and humanity in one being housed in one unique body. No less deity, no less humanity in one person. Now, folks, that's a mystery. It's indescribable. We try and put words to it, but we come up short every time. We can only grasp it so far. This, to me, provides more reason, another reason to believe in the existence of God because man could never have come up with such an idea. We mustn't leave out the mystery of God becoming visible in human form. And one would have thought that something as magnificent as God becoming man, he would have come by splitting the sky in two with lots of noise, lots of fanfare, lots of attention. But no, the gift, this gift as a baby born, is born in, in, in the Middle East, silently delivered, out in the countryside, and relying on a bunch of lowly shepherds to spread the news. Well, what is this gift? Luke 2, verse 11, says it succinctly. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The wonder of it all is that this gift is a person. Is a person. On a real day in history, in a real town, a person was born who could do something about our guilt and our sin. He's the long-awaited Messiah, the King, the, the one in whom all the promises of God are yes. He is the Lord, the Sovereign One, the Ruler of all, Yahweh God, who will defeat all of our enemies and give us a reason to live life to the fullest each day while on earth and for all of eternity. That, loved ones, is a gift that we might say is indescribable, inexpressible, unspeakable. As the hymn states, There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. It is beyond human understanding and explanation. I cannot fully comprehend it all. The great personal God who knows what we need, who didn't leave us to ourselves to figure it out, gave us himself in the person of Jesus Christ to meet our greatest needs. Whatever else you may get this Christmas, I can safely say, as the kids sang, he's the best present of all. Why can I say that? Because God chose the gift we needed most. I'm sure you're familiar with these words. It shows up a lot this time of year, but I'm going to read it again. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. If you aren't careful, you'll miss the gift. You'll miss this gift. 
The giver is a person. The gift is a person. Let's look lastly at the recipient of the gift. The gift has arrived. The gift has arrived. Who needs this gift? Well, if you've never lied, if you've never been jealous, if you've never worshipped stuff or, or anything else other than God, if you've never looked at a woman lustfully, if you've never cheated on a test or on your taxes, if you've never gossiped or slandered anyone, if you're not a sinner, then this gift is irrelevant. But if you have stolen, if you have injured someone's reputation, if you've ever lied to get out of a jam or lied to appear to be better than you are, or if you've kept silent when you should have spoken up and you said too much when you should have been quiet, if you've lost your cool or you've been unloving, if you know your sin separates you from a holy God and that no amount of your good deeds can earn you favor with God, then you need a Savior. If you're a sinner, you need this gift. Because how can imperfect people enter into a perfect heaven? A couple years ago, I received an amazing gift of four tickets to a Yankees game at Yankee Stadium. Now, being the Yankee fan that I am, you can imagine my appreciation. (laughs) Oh, did I mention they were playing the Red Sox? So three other Red Sox fans and I headed to Yankee Stadium one Saturday to catch the game. Our ride in was, was an amazing experience as the four of us were treated as royalty on Amtrak. It was just uh, unbelievable. When we arrived at Yankee Stadium, we checked out our tickets, and they were the MVP club seats. You can't get into this area without a card, a seat marked, seats marked MVP. Now, this was a new experience for all of us. I had, I had seen these kind of sections before at stadiums, but it was the first time for me actually to walk into this restricted area. Well, a very nice person greeted us and told us of the amenities, and I was just overwhelmed with, with such treatment. It was, it was all odds. We were in there. Go ahead. Help yourself to this. Help you. It was amazing. I couldn't take it in. Now, why was I treated like that? Why was I able to enter there? What did I do to deserve this? Why was I welcomed into the club? Because of someone else. I had someone's card with their name on it. That's how I could get in. What did I do to deserve this? Nothing. In the same way, if you were to try to get to the, to the MVP club, someone would stop you and say, whoa, 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 you can't go in there. You don't have a card. Now, what if, as you were standing there, unable to enter, a nice person comes along, puts his arm around you, and says to the person in the way of the entrance, he's coming in with me, and you get to go in. So you walk in, and you're welcome. You become the recipient of the gift. What did you do to deserve this gift? Absolutely nothing. In the cartoon, Dennis the Menace, Dennis was shown walking away from the Wilson's house with his friend Joey. Both boys had their hands full of cookies. Joey then asked, I wonder what we did to deserve this. 
Dennis answers succinctly, look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies, not because we're nice, but because she's nice. Dennis delivered an answer packed with truth. In the same way, we receive the gift of God, not because we're good, but because God's good. Matter of fact, any good that comes my way is not because I'm good, but because God is so good. Every good and perfect gift is from God. He's the giver of the indescribable gift. The question is, have you received the gift? After all, what's the point of a gift you never receive? Now, what happens when you unwrap this indescribable gift? Well, there's another word that shows up a lot this time of year. We find it in our Christmas songs. It shows up on Christmas cards. It's one of the things said by the angels to the shepherds. What is that word? It is the word peace. Peace. When the angels spoke of peace, they related it to God's glory. For they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men. God's gift to you is the person of Christ who is to be your Savior and Lord. And when he is that, he gets the glory, you get the peace. John Piper said it best when he said, God's purpose in this is to give you peace by being the most glorious person in your life. Is he the most glorious person in your life? If not, you might be struggling with peace right now. See, you cannot have peace apart from Christ. You cannot enjoy true peace with yourself. You cannot enjoy true peace with others. You cannot enjoy true peace with God apart from Christ. We try, but we can't. He wants to give you peace by being the most glorious person in your life. If you try to make anyone else that, you won't have peace. The greatest need we have is peace with God. If we don't go here first then all the other pursuits of peace, we're going to come up short, and all other experiences of peace are going to be superficial and temporary. For Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It has to start there. This indescribable gift came to bring you peace. We can have this peace in living as forgiven people. And this peace comes to all. It's offered to all. It goes out to all, but not everyone will experience the peace he brings. I ask you, do you know this peace? Are you in a right relationship with God? Have you received Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you, do you know about this gift? I'm asking, have you received it? Knowing about the gift is not the same as receiving it. Giving intellectual assent to this is not the same as receiving him. You see, the gift has arrived. Take him. Take him. On that first Christmas, when Mary unwrapped that indescribable gift, grace awakens. What you will discover is that as you receive the gift of Jesus Christ, when Jesus reigns in your life, when he is the most glorious person in your life, he is truly then all that you need. I was told that there's a t-shirt 
that you can buy that has these words on it, all you need is me. (laughs) I thought I might buy it for myself, kind of as a gift to my wife. I can wear it around the house. (laughs) Honey, all you need is me. Listen, Christ could wear such a shirt, but only then be really true. Only Christ can make such a statement, all you need is me. Christ is all we need for forgiveness. Christ is all we need in our times of loneliness. Christ is all we need when we're carrying around all kinds of concerns. He's all we need for our baggage of regret and guilt. He's all we need to get back up when we have blown it. He's all we need, and he longs to be the most glorious person in your life. Will you let him? Because when he is, we, like Paul, can exclaim, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. If you receive that, you go, how do I respond? How do I respond to such an indescribable gift given to us in the person of Jesus Christ? What can I possibly give him? What is it that he wants from me? He has everything. What does he want from me? Christina Rossetti was a poet who lived in the 1800s. One poem she wrote entitled The Christmas Carol was set to music after her death. We know it today as in the bleak midwinter. Christina Rossetti was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ who for many years volunteered at the House of Charity, which was a refuge for women coming out of a life of prostitution. In the Victorian era of her day, economic forces often caused women women to make a living by selling their bodies. Some of the women were as young as 12 years old. Rossetti's efforts in offering Christ and helping find better jobs for these marginalized women came through in in some of her poems. For instance, in A Christmas Carol, it pictures the Savior who entered our world of suffering and brokenness, a world very much like the bleak of midwinter of Rossetti's native England. Rossetti's poem, she asks, What can I give him, poor as I am? What can I give him, poor as I am? This question would have weighed heavily on women struggling to come out of a life of prostitution with their broken lives. What could they possibly give to Jesus? And Rossetti writes of one thing, all of us can give Christ no matter who we are. She wrote, if I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give my heart. That's what he That's what I can give them. Everyone in this room can give them that, no matter of the past, no matter what issues you're struggling with, past, present, or you think you're going to struggle in the future. We can give him something. What can we give him? There's one gift that Christ wants more than anything else in this room. He wants our hearts. Our hearts. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you can give him your heart. There's an offering we can bring to the one who has given us the indescribable gift, the person of Jesus Christ. I can't describe him. I can't explain all that I have been given. I can't explain all that is involved in having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't explain all the wonderful things that come of that relationship with Christ. But what I can do, what I can do is fall on my knees and thank 
God for his indescribable gift. All I can do, all I can do, all that he wants is that I offer him my worship and my praise. When we know the gift of God's love in Jesus, our hearts will follow because we give because God has given first to us. We love because God has first loved us. See, he's the why behind our giving. So wherever you may be this morning, and I'm going to have the praise team come up and lead us in this final song. They're just going to sing it. We're going to listen. We'll come back to it on Christmas Eve, but they're going to sing it for us this morning. But no matter where you are at this morning, no matter where you're at, what God wants from you, what God wants from me is a life of surrender to him, a life of worship of him, a life that, that just bends the knee to him and says, you're Lord, you're Savior, you are to be the most glorious person in my life. I call you, I call myself to that kind of response to the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Will you give him that this morning? Listen to these words as we close with this song.